Hello, listeners. You're about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans, and it is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you would call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride through the 2021 MLB season. Enjoy. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode nine coming at you here on Sunday morning, morning for a change, May 23rd. Um, recording this in the AM hours because, uh, Alex, what are, we, what are we doing in a couple hours? A couple hours, we will be uh, getting on the 5 freeway and going to Angel Stadium to watch a nice uh, Sunday afternoon baseball game. It's uh, it's Bunday, if you would say. Yeah, I, I would say that, yes. Yeah, so getting uh, getting the podcast recorded early today. Just want to cover, of course, the things we saw this week in baseball. Uh, kind of actually a really interesting week. I mean, it, not too much, you know... Not too much going on with the games and the different series that were going on, but a lot of you know inside stuff that we saw um, starting last Monday and leading all the way up to today. So some of the things we want to cover um, in the, this week's podcast are, first off, the big elephant in the room, the unwritten rules. That'll be a very big topic we're going to be talking about um, later on in this podcast. Also want to talk about um, some things that we actually missed last week was um, A's, Oakland A's, possibly on the move to another city, to another stadium. We'll get more into that. Also... 2021 Otani or 1919 Babe Ruth? We'll talk a little bit more what we mean by that. And then also another big one of the week. Two, not one, two no-hitters this week. This makes it six no-hitters on the MLB season. So we'll dive more into that. But uh, I guess we'll start right now, Alex, with, uh, you know, let's actually start with the no-nos. Because I know we like to always start with pitching. Sure. Pitching wins championships. So, this week, we had two no-hitters. Does, Spencer does, Turnbull. Does Spencer Turnbull, Turnbull win you championships? <laughs> he could for the Tigers in 2025. Spencer Turnbull, no-hitter against the Seattle Mariners. Corey Kluber, no-hitter against the Texas Rangers. Right. Sorry, AL West. It was a pretty poor week for you guys. But take me through kind of like what your thoughts are now. I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier in, in the podcast about a month back. We knew there was not going to be, you know any more no hitters we knew there was going to be more no hitters in the season right. to come. and and we're just we're, we're giving no hitters on a weekly basis now yeah yeah so i mean first to highlight that uh, you know you mentioned that it was kluber versus rangers and that's just so that i feel bad for the rangers because they traded emmanuel class a i think as well as uh, a couple other players to get kluber and they got like one inning out of them and that's then, right and that's then, right and then he has to go down for the whole uh, that whole 2020 season after that and then his we, we, we got that that memorable tweet, a warning to the West. Oh, yeah. It got Lance Lynn, Kluber and Mike Miner. And how did that go for them? They're all playing on different AL clubs right now. Yeah. And and <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, that being said, the fact that he goes to the Yankees, uh, our first couple starts were kind of rocky, but he's really found his groove over there in, 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 the, in the Bronx. And now no hitter, his old team that, you know, gave up you know, talent to get, acquire Kluber. Definitely, yep. And now they're getting no hit by the poor, uh, by the guy. They had to let him go for nothing because he's a free agent. And so that's just, a, that's just a sad little kind of subplot to the whole Kluber no-hitter thing. But on, on the no-hitter thing on a whole, um, you know, Kluber, Turnbull, you know, both no-hitters in a week. But, you know, Kluber especially has the, you know, the resume and the, you know, he has the, you know, it's not. It's not a shock that a guy like that could get a no hitter. I guess and the awards. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's got like yeah. He's 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 established uh, completely uh, in in sort of you know the uh, respected pitchers. But Spencer Turnbull, on the other hand, uh, not quite the same. And the fact that both these guys are getting the fifth and sixth no hitters of the season, and that's of course ignoring the Madison Bumgarner seven inning no hitter, which that's right. I agree. Yeah. It's not. It's not the same but it still deserves to be in the same like grouping. Like We're seeing a, an mm-hmm. insane amount mm-hmm. of hit prevention mm-hmm. amongst pitchers this year. And I guess you know trying to diagnose why that might be, uh, my mind just keeps going back to this dead and ball that we're experiencing this year. I just, Travis, I feel like I see so many flyouts to the warning track this year. I think there's something a little bit different about what's going on. As an Angels fan, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> you, you're, you're well aware. You're well aware. Yes. So... Yeah. so 
I, I guess I guess what, what back to what I was saying is, I think around 2019 we were breaking records for I guess home run hitting in mm-hmm. in, in baseball. Mm-hmm. 2019 was a huge year for homers, good year for power. I, I feel like Travis, honestly, I really enjoyed baseball that year. I think 2019 was a really fun year. The Astros were like an exciting team. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers were a very exciting team. We thought they were on a collision course. Nationals came out of nowhere and took you know swept everyone away. But the Yankees were really good that year. Yep, yep. Uh, it was it just felt like a, like a fun year where every every division had a very talented team, and um, you know pitching was still good. Like Cole and Verlander had masterful masterful years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think Scherzer was still on top. Yeah. Scherzer was really good. Degrom was really good. I feel like there was a lot going for the MLB that year, and then I th- guess they kind of thought home runs, or I guess they kind of thought okay, people are swinging for the fences too much, and it might be hurting the game a little bit. So they wanted to deaden the ball to kind of. I guess prevent those like home run like focused people, but in reality, if they're still focusing on home runs, and now all you really did is kind of took away those kind of like bloopers. I feel like they, those have turned into like grounders or like I mean, essentially they they changed the ball in a way where it hasn't. I guess their intended effect was to limit home runs, but they were limited offense altogether. And now these pitchers are like going on a rampage, and it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'll add to that too because I mean, going back to going back to the earlier, sorry, the late '90s, you know, you had the whole home run chase with Sosa and McGuire. Some people said that was really what saved baseball because right. of the the lockout in '94, and then you kind of just had this, you know, baseball was, you know, it, it was whatever is whatever, and then those two guys, and then you add, you know, guys like Barry Bonds and some of these other guys just hitting, you know, 50, 60 home runs in a season, mm-hmm. and you know, fans are, are, are going crazy for this. And, and fans in, in Chicago and St. Louis, especially with that rivalry, we're going crazy with that as well. And so uh, I, I like what you said about, you know, in 19, we saw, I think it was the Minnesota Twins had the most home runs as a team in MLB history. Yeah. And it's kind of just like, and what? I think, the I think Minnesota the, Twins? I think the Yankees were like the second most in history. Like two yeah. different teams are yeah. breaking the record in one year. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, offense is what's going to draw fans. It's what's going to draw more attention. I mean, for... For pitching, pitching is really important, and pitching is what's going to win you championships. But you know what? People want to see offense. I always right. go back to the, the I always go back to the Astros Dodgers World Series. I think it was Game Five. That was probably one of the most exciting games out there. When you had yeah. both teams, just one guy hits a home run, the next inning the other team hits a home run. Springer hits one of the train tracks. Altuve hits it out. Uh, Puig. I think he literally swung with one hand and got it out, out on that those Crawford boxes in left field. Yeah, I mean. What an exciting game, and it's just like, what what kind of ball are they using? But, I mean, it's still so exciting to see all these home runs. And I think that game, I think it had over 10-plus home runs in, in the game. And, I mean, what an all-time game, just a slugfest. That's what I think that, you know, baseball kind of really needs to get to. And I, I know the pitchers probably disagree, but I think when you look at, you know, making money and having people watch these games, having – tremendous you know offenses performances you're you're gonna you're gonna get so much more revenue and so much more money i think because people want to see you know home runs they want to see more runs they want to see higher scoring games right i think another thing to add there travis is um something that might everyone might not be tracking this on their radar they might not all be aware but there's a uh, a developing trend amongst pitchers in the last you know few years where their spin rates are all going way up so the best pitchers in baseball, their fastballs are having a faster spin rate and their breaking pitchers are having a faster spin rate. And it kind of just leads to more break. Fastballs kind of appear to be rising more and breaking balls just break way more and way harder. So all, all that, all that's to say that like they've, you know, pitchers have kind of discovered uh, a way to make themselves more effective. And that in co- combination with the dead ball is just completely limiting uh, hitting i feel like this year and then at the same time travis you know there are you know rumors and whisperings of like some pine tar from different pitchers mm-hmm. that might, might be using mm-hmm. pine tar to increase that spin rate um and the league has not taken action on that um i'm not don't know if they should i'm not saying they should for sure i really don't know what they would do uh, to take action on that but if they did take action on it, like they did take action on steroids it if if you limited pine tar usage, you would almost offense would definitely rise. You know, you definitely see less no hitters. Oh yeah. If yeah. these like sort of average, a slightly above average pitchers were not allowed to make themselves into all stars, almost you know, and and, and you know that you know, it, I have I have no idea. It's not my place to say okay, baseball would be better if they didn't have pine tar for pitchers or you know didn't do this or didn't do that. But I guess at the end of the day, it feels like pitchers are currently in a spot where. They're uh, getting better and better, and then all of a sudden they made the ball favor them as well. 
Whereas in 2019, uh, I'm sure pitchers were getting better and better. They're learning about spin rate, learning about how to improve, uh, you know, I guess what they do. And at the same time, the ball is now swinging their way and it's making uh, just pitching absolutely dominate. So uh, a year of the pitcher could be kind of a fun thing this year, but I think I think by the end of the season, we're going to get pretty tired of like the no-hitter thing, yeah, uh, yeah. the limited offense. And not only no-hitters, but so many games where, you know, uh, a pitcher who's like, you know, a respectable major league pitcher, but like not someone that's like an all-star and you see them have like multiple outings of like only giving up two hits in a whole game, no yep, runs. Yep. It's happening like a crazy amount. So, and especially with the hitters nowadays, all trying to, you know, focus on launch angle and fo- focusing on driving the ball out of the ballpark, having a dead and ball. I mean, that's why you said so many fly outs at the warning track. If you, maybe you had more players, you know, going more for line drives, Maybe just trying to have those little floaters over the second base or first baseman's head that just kind of, you know, bloop into the outfield. Of course, that would, that would mean no, you know, no hitters. But uh, I think just with the hitters, you know, what the hitters goal is at the plate and with the ball that, that we're using now, it's just a recipe for, you know, allowing no hits because guys that are, you know, five foot 10 or five foot, you know, like Altuve, five foot six, they're trying to drive the, drive the ball out of the ballpark. And with these balls, they really, you know, don't have any, you know, power when it comes to you know getting these things and you know right. belting them 375 400 feet um from home plate and so it's just interesting to see that and you know it, it's it's kind of crazy that you know by the end of the season we could have you know 10 plus no hitters we probably will i, I mean honestly that, that might be a bet you might want to put down because right. it probably will happen it is may 23rd and we have seen six no hitters and so you're almost getting a no hitter a week every week you're getting a no hitter and so and you know what so sorry for the Cleveland Indians, the Seattle Mariners, and the Texas Rangers because you guys have been no hit twice, and so it just kind of it, pretty it, sad. It, it's pretty sad, and you know it, it kind of it, maybe maybe the dead ball is also maybe these teams just suck. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. But you know maybe these maybe some of these teams are just trying a little too hard to, like I said, hit the home run and not focused on you know kind of singles or you know maybe maybe balls in the gap. But it is kind of interesting to see that you know. These three teams are the main, you know, reason yeah. for these no hitters, you know. But of course, there's been so many teams out there that have been no hit through seven, through eight innings that we've seen. Um, I mean, the Atlanta Braves were no hit by Madison Bumgarner through seven innings, and so uh, it, it's it's just crazy to see all this kind of stuff. And you know, maybe the no hitter and by September will be kind of a, you know, it's kind of an old, you know, not really looked upon as like a, you know, a really remarkable kind of yeah, achievement. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, oh, okay. But, you know, and again, we're still waiting for that perfect game. That perfect game will happen, I guarantee, this season sometime. But it's interesting that you said, you know, some of these no-hitters are happening from guys that, you know, are not all-stars. They're not, you know, they're not tremendous pitching, you know, icons. Wade Miley, Spencer Turnbull, I guess you can maybe say John Means, um, some of those guys. Right. I mean, they're not, they're not all-stars yet. And so it's kind of interesting to see these kind of guys, you know, have these kind of seasons and so yeah so pretty much you know and sticking with kind of the teams in the al west like seattle and texas i want to i want to talk about you know oakland a's kind of after our next topic last week i think it was early last week um you know there was some news i think jeff passion you know put out there that the oakland a's are actually you know possibly looking for a new home are looking for a new city right which is kind of sad because you think of the city of oakland i mean raiders left them Right. The Warriors left them. Yeah. Just for across the bay, but the Warriors left them. And now you're having the Oakland A's, the I think it's I think what could be the maybe not the oldest franchise or the oldest team in Oakland, but you know, the heart and soul of Oakland, Oakland A's and for all sure that stuff. And so yeah. um, you know, having them possibly leaving. And I know that some of the landing spots they gave out were, you know, Las Vegas, of course. Yeah. Because, you know, I think Vegas is kind of a growing city and their, you know, sports teams are going there like crazy. Um, someone also said Portland, Portland, Oregon, because, you mm-hmm. know, also kind of, you know, have, have the, uh, the trailblazers up there and, you know, just a yeah. lonesome basketball team, but they might need some more, you know, sports it could be an untapped baseball market. For exactly. Sure. Exactly. Especially up in that Northwest. And then, um, also they, people are throwing out Nashville because mm-hmm. Nashville is kind of that, it's that new Vegas right now. It's that new party town. They've got no sports teams except for the predators and the, uh, the Titans for football, but People are saying, man, it'd be great to have a baseball team here. So um, I think they get in a couple other cities as well. I think someone said Charlotte, you know, Charlotte, North or North Carolina. I'm sure someone's throwing out Vancouver as well. Different like Canada towns. For me, for this, and I'll I'll let you weigh in as well. But for me, I think that you have to stick with the West. You cannot go into the, you know, you can't go into the Midwest or the East Coast because you'd be kind of changing the whole divisions and the Mm -hmm. leagues. 
And I think it can get kind of confusing. It would definitely rock so, that way we um, organize our AL and NL, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think when you look at this kind of stuff, you would have to choose a team and a city. If they did move, you'd have to choose somewhere on the, you know, on the West Coast or in the Western area. People have said Salt Lake City. People have said, you know, just sticking in the Western Hemisphere of the mm-hmm. United States. But mm-hmm. any cities that you have, you know. I mean, I just think, I think, you know, as we saw for for the NFL, uh, Vegas is just a destination that's kind of ready for sports. Travis, a big reason why, as you and I both know, has to do with sports gambling. Mm-hmm. The fact that's that right. sports gambling is so accessible in Vegas, you can just walk into any casino, look at the odds, place your bets. Being able to do that and then go catch a baseball game or a football game afterwards. I mean, that's got to be just like the, that's got to be the dream. Like if you're yeah. if you're you know if you're really into sports gambling and you can just take a trip and go watch the game you just bet on. You know, yep. that would be yep. super fun. To, if you're an A's fan, it would increase the A's revenue if they put like a sports book uh, at their ballpark, which they definitely could if they were in Vegas. And we're seeing that now with the Diamondbacks right. putting a sports book in their stadium. I think we're looking at maybe in five years. I mean, that could, that really could become sports popular. gambling could be a, uh, it could be legal nationally. Every state could have it, and it'll be a state you know jurisdiction or state choice. Right. But I mean, for me, it's like how could you not? You know, you you make certain things legal in certain states, but you know, gambling not only just creates so much more revenue because, especially at the ballpark, Travis, yeah. you go to an Angel game and you say, okay, like Trout owns this pitcher, I'm gonna bet Trout hits a home run right now, and then like. He does it. You're going crazy, you know. It, yeah. it, 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 it's going to yeah. bring in, uh, I would say, more, uh, you know, I guess more eyes uh, into live baseball. I, I think it would definitely be, it'd be good for teams that are maybe not so doing so well in August, September. You can go to the ballpark. Maybe maybe Jose Rojas and the Angels strikes out and the crowd goes wild because we all bet on that was going to happen or something like that. Right. You know, some something stupid like that. But no, you're right. It, it, it could be a very new perspective for baseball and for sports to have a actual designated sports gambling section in every ballpark and stadium in America. Right. And and so so back to the back to the original topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if o- if Oakland A's becomes Las Vegas uh, Athletics or something like that. We're looking at like uh, the second you know sport to really move into Vegas and try to like you know plant their foot. Oh, third actually, I forgot about the NHL as well. Uh, yeah, that's right. With, with the Golden Knights, and so now all you're really missing is basketball, which you know the Clippers. Th- that could be next if, <laughs> if, if if the Clippers embarrass themselves in the playoffs this year. Uh, they did. They did last night. They, they, they make they may continue to uh, you know maybe look to leave Staples and stop being the little brother. So, uh, but yeah, the A's, Acharis, I really see. Uh, you know, in Oakland to Vegas kind of move as being, you know, good for a lot of reasons for them. Uh, I could see, you know, I, I don't know much about how much Canada likes baseball. I could see a Vancouver move making sense and it'd still be in the AL West. That's true, yeah. Um, yep. I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know what that market's like in Vancouver, mm-hmm. if, if they're dying for baseball or not. But, uh, yeah, I think, st- like, like you said, staying in the West makes a lot of sense. I really think it'd be kind of silly to go back to, like, a four teams in the AL West, six teams in, like, a central division. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. Exactly. At the same time, it would probably help the Angels make the playoffs more hey, often. We, we, we get a <laughs> we, we get a tough team out of our division, so maybe it can help us a little more. But 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 that that aside, um, yeah, I agree. Like a West team that makes sense, uh, or West city that makes sense for me is definitely Vegas. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. And so, um, yeah, moving on to another big portion of the of the you know of the podcast, I want to talk to you about Alex, and this is you know comparing two icons, two Goliaths. Two just freak shows of nature. In one corner, we got the great Bambino of Babe Ruth. I want to look at his 1919 season because he was both hitting and pitching for the Boston Red Sox. Mm-hmm. And then the other corner, I want to look at the 2021 season that we're watching from Shohei Otani. So basically, you see these two icons, Alex. I know you know them pretty you know them pretty well. What do you see? What do you get from these two icons that, you know? could be very comparable and also very, I would say, very different from one another. Right, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack with this idea because Babe Ruth, obviously such a legend, um, and Otani is still trying to make his, I mean, he's made his name without a doubt, and he's, uh, you know, and I, I, like you said, a total icon, but is not like, you know, on Hall of Fame trajectory quite yet. He needs to do quite a lot more. Um, but... Yeah, so I guess diving into Ruth a bit. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll share with you some of the numbers I saw right here and, and, okay. and just kind of you know compare and contrast them. But Babe Ruth, looking at his 1919 season on the pitching side, pitched 133 and one-third innings pitched that season. 
With that season, he had a 2.97 ERA, so still very impressive. And then you look at Shohei's pitching side right now. Of course, not the innings pitch that, you know, he's has, you know, the season's not over right now, but right mm -hmm. now has 25 and two-thirds innings pitched right now with a 2.10 ERA with a 209 ERA plus. So pitching side right now, I mean, we can both agree Shohei is looking a lot more dominant. Of course, the sample size is smaller. Right. But Shohei is looking, you know, I, pretty, pretty good right now. And then I'll cover kind of the batting side, of course, as well. So batting for Babe Ruth in 1919, he had a total of 29 home runs that season with a 456 on base percentage and a 657 slugging percentage. And I guess in all those stats, he led MLB. So he was the MLB leader in home runs that year on base and slugging. Shohei. 13 home runs, and this is actually taken a couple of days back, so right now he has actually 14 home runs. Mm -hmm. But with that also, he has 93 total bases. And with those two stats, he leads MLB in both of those stats. So I guess take a bigger, you know, deep, you know, a dive into this and, and, and tell me what you see. Sure. And I guess we can also talk about, you know, who we think right now is actually, you know, having a better, who had a better season or it will have a better season. Sure, sure, sure. So um, like you said, Babe Ruth led in home runs that year. Uh, right now, Otani uh, currently tied for the lead in the American League for home runs. Acuna yep. just hit his 15th, so he's leading Major League Baseball. But, um, yeah, Otani with 14 currently leading the American League. Also, uh, like you mentioned earlier to me, Travis, leading in triples, which just kind of brings in this whole other element to his mm -hmm. game, that speed, that potential hits one off the wall. He's going to be flying around the bases. Um, you, we, we mentioned Otani's hitting stats, like a 268 average. 320 on base, 619 slugging right now. That's good for 152 OPS plus. So that's that's you know that's above all star level. That's super super great hitting despite you know a lower average. And you know he, he's gotten uh, a bit better at walking since Trout's been out. Actually, I feel like maybe mm -hmm. he might have adjusted mm -hmm. his approach a little bit with the Trout injury. Mm -hmm. uh, knows that he has to you know get help get runners on base because Trout's usually the guy that does that. Uh, and then I'll slide over now to Babe Ruth's hitting that year. Uh, in 2019, like, or sorry, in 1919, 1919, yeah. like you said, uh, led baseball in on base slugging and, you know, OPS home runs, led baseball and everything. He was the best hitter by far. Mm -hmm. He, Charles, he had a 217 OPS plus, which is pretty much absolute historic levels. Mm -hmm. That's something that you will, you, Mike Trout's never had a 217 OPS plus in his whole career in a season. Uh, Otani. I can certainly guarantee will not reach that kind of landmark this season. It takes a Probably, special kind of hitter. It really takes a inner circle Hall of Famer to reach that kind of peak. It's really just a monstrous level. And I think the last guy to come close to that was, I think, 2015 Bryce Harper's numbers was 198. Okay. And he's still about 20 points off, that which, would, is, which is still crazy. That would make sense, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, we haven't seen a, a OPS, you know— this high in, in a full, I believe Juan Soto last year actually had a very in, insane OPS, but he played 50 games. Yeah, yeah. Um, for a full season, I think the last guy to get close was, was Barry Bonds. Mm -hmm. Or I, by close, I mean like above 200. You know, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. really putting pressure on Ruth. Um, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Bonds has, has uh, surpassed this 217 number. But, um, anyways, uh, looking at the pitching side now, like like you kind of mentioned, um, Ruth here, uh, the ERA seems low. In 1919, like you mentioned, a 2.97 ERA in 133 innings, which is obviously a, it's a low number. And in today's league, you'd say that that's dominant. But if you look at his ERA plus, it's actually only 102. So that means he's pretty much about league average. I guess the league average ERA that year must have been around like three. Mm -hmm. So he mm -hmm. was obviously a good pitcher that year. But his best year's pitching were probably behind him. He had an ERA title back in 1916. And since then, his ERA slowly kind of rose and rose and rose. And by 1919, it was only a 2.97, which was about league average. And his hitting was absolutely historic. So, Travis, it makes sense to me why he picked to focus on hitting at that point and said, I'm like an average pitcher, but as a batter, I am like absolutely shattering baseball. I'm breaking home run records for single seasons. Like, I'm going to continue with this, focus all my time and energy in a hitting. And that makes a lot of sense to me. But Otani, I feel like... His value on both sides is more above average mm -hmm. than Ruth at this current point. Ruth at this current point is like an average pitcher and an absolutely historic hitter 
whereas Otani feels like he's an all-star pitcher and an all-star hitter. Mm-hmm. So not like this mm-hmm. mind-blowing historic level of greatness on either side, mm-hmm. but he's too good at both to abandon either one. You're right. No, you're right. Mm-hmm. Do you, you, you kind of agree with that? I, I agree with that. And, and one thing I'll point out, too, that I'm looking at, and, look, and you know, just going back to Babe Ruth and his hitting, you know, it's crazy because I know they had the dead ball era back in, you know, the the, the teens of the 1900s. Uh-huh. And looking at his 1918 numbers, he led all of baseball, all of baseball with 11 home runs. Yeah. That was the leader of home runs back then because home runs weren't, they, they, they weren't like the three-pointer. They, right. they They weren't popular. And so it's funny, you look back at that and then you look at his 2019 numbers, he went from 11 to 29. Yeah. You're almost doubling to, in today's in today that he, that'd be like going from forty to eighty. He Ruth pretty much single handedly ended the dead ball era and said, "This is how we're gonna play baseball now." I'm gonna show you guys how to score runs. It, it's just incredible to look at that too, going from eleven to twenty nine. And people might say, "Well, he only had twenty nine home runs that year." But of course, if you look back in history and you look at the years prior and you look at how many home runs it changed people, baseball. It, it, it yeah. just changed baseball. You look at nineteen twenty going to the Yankees, fifty four home runs. Right. I mean, I, I can't imagine. Imagine that in today's game. That'd be like someone going from 30 home runs to 60 home runs to possibly about 110 home runs yeah, in a, a season. Another another basketball analogy, but imagine if you dropped Steph Curry in the 80s and like yeah. you just told him to go wild. It, it would it would change the sport in a way that like they'd have statues of him everywhere, which is yeah. like what, what Ray Ruth pretty much is dealing with 100 exactly. years later. Exactly, and that's why people still consider him. The, I mean, that's why he is one of the greatest baseball players, if not the greatest baseball player to ever live in the game. Looking at also the percentage stats, I mean, he was also a king in that as well. A 456 on base. I mean, how many times has a guy surpassed a 450 plus on base percentage? And then you look at the slugging. How many times has guys hit, you know, 650 plus in a season doing both of those and having a 1.1, uh, you know, 1.1 OPS or more or higher in, in right. a season? And so look at the hitting aspect of the side. You know, it's definitely, in my in my opinion, it's it's more impressive than what Shohei is doing and probably what Shohei will do this season. Right. I know the home runs will be, looks like it could be tremendously more because Shohei's probably on pace for 45 to 50 home runs this season, which yeah, would be... Yeah, if you can keep that up, that'd be... Absolutely insane. Right. On the pitching side, too, I mean, I think it's very impressive as well as what Shohei's doing on the pitching side because, like you said, the ERA is looking great. Uh, all the numbers there are looking fantastic. The only thing that is a little bit on the... I would say that that needs a little bit more, you know, fixing is, of course, the whip because he is walking a lot of guys. But looking at even Babe Ruth's whip back in 1919, a 1.5 whip. So he was he was still allowing a lot of walks or a lot of hits in an inning. Right. Yeah. I mean, back it's kind of hard to diagnose. Like, yeah, like how much were guys walking in 1919? Yeah. I don't really got those numbers in front of me. And, and you got guys that are literally all their job was, I guarantee, was to go up there and literally just chop the ball in the ground and just do a and, high chopper and try to beat it out. And try to beat out. And back then, those guys are all those. Every guy could could run the bags. No one's like our fools running down the line. Right. They're all they're all forcing you know pressure on the defense, especially if you look at those gloves they were using back in 1919. Might, might, might be a little hard to feel the ground ball. Oh, a- absolutely. The, 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 I don't even want to imagine being a pitcher and trying to rely on that kind of defense of what you can do with an oven mitt at shortstop mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to catch a hard hard grounder. And yep. They got the job done somehow. But, yep. but yeah, yep. I, I guess like you were saying, um, Otani not really on track. I mean, the home runs could be very impressive, but in terms of, you know, breaking baseball the way Ruth did with his bat, uh, we're not expecting that from Shohei. From Shohei, I guess the big difference is we really want to see him do both because – you know, his bat is not going to change baseball and his pitching alone will not change baseball. But together, he could kind of change the change the way we view like a baseball superstar. Definitely. Doing both at a high level, uh, I think, is what really makes him special. And even though Ruth did the same, Ruth uh, very clearly was better at one than the other and stuck with it. Whereas Otani, I really hope he continues to do both. No, I hope yes. he, you know, remains healthy enough to do both. And I think, you know, that is what will define him in his career is hopefully trying to, you know, be historic and be great in that way and he's already on his way there and i will say the one thing about otani that to me just separates him from ruth and what separates him from most of the hitters today and just the player he is is i think the speed yeah i i mean if you if you watched him you, you actually last night you watched him he had a triple last night with a ball they hit off the wall and then last night he also hit a little i think it was a broken bat little single roller into the outfield he turned that into a double. Yeah. And he went off and, 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 it's, and it's plays like that that you see that are like wild. To me, I only I see plays like that. I'm a little bit more impressed by that than probably, possibly, you know, a 450 foot shot. Because 
it's just it's just so insane that he can actually beat out stuff like that and turn singles into extra base hits, can turn doubles into triples, and honestly, in some stadiums, probably can force you know outfielders to maybe get in, inside the park home run. Uh, it, yeah. it's it's just something really special with him. I think the speed is what makes him such a such a dangerous threat on the base pass as well because you could walk him, but guess what? He can steal second base. He can steal third base. Person like Babe Ruth, he's probably not even trying to steal, you know, bags. But it's just insane to see that kind of stuff from Shohei. And you know, as the season continues, we're going to see you know power numbers increase and also you know probably stolen bases increase as well. And so we should be, you know, I mean, we're we're, we're witnessing a, a really really special you know player this season. And it's funny we talked about the dead ball. He he's using that to his advantage, and he's also you know it's also using to his disadvantage right now because. If it was 2019, Shohei could probably have 20 home runs by now. I mean, Travis, I mean, Travis how many times have you seen Otani pitch low and away? He just does his classic thing where he kind of flicks it to the left left center yeah. gap, mm-hmm. and Travis, it goes and it sails to the track, and they catch it. I feel like it's happened at least 10 times. No, no, it's, I know. It's, and, and, you know, maybe with a live ball, some of those still get caught, but I, I just feel like some of these guys, Otani being one of them, the raw power combined with, like, a 2019 ball, I think we'd see, you know, a very incredible, maybe like a 20 home runs already. I wouldn't be surprised if I mean, that, that was the case. And, and I think we've seen two or three times where he's actually reached out with one hand, with one hand, his right hand, and just flicks the ball, and it goes off the wall, or it goes to the warning track, and I'm just like... Or in, in, in one specific case, Travis, insane. it clears the big monster. Yeah, the that's green, right. The green monster in, in Fenway Park. When, when that happened, like I actually remember I was listening to a, a podcast, Bill Simmons, big Red Sox fan, he was actually saying, Travis, that he's seen that he's seen that kind of pitch a hundred times where someone reaches for a low and away pitch and it's like, oh, that's gonna like that might like one hop the wall and it goes to the camera angle and you're like, it just clears the wall. That's clearing this thing like it's it, just insane. It, yeah, it, it's unimaginable. But it's it's insane. It's insane. So Ruth and Shohei, I mean, it's gonna be really fun to see you know these kind of guys you know really you know. Sorry, not Ruth, because his career is over. But, you know, looking at Shohei, it's going to be really fun to see how his stats, you know, end up this season. You know, how he finishes in MVP voting. I mean, I talked about it, and I think in our first podcast. In my in my opinion, if Shohei can finish with like a 3.5 ERA, and he can have, you know, 30, 35 plus home runs, I think you have to give extreme strong consideration for him for the MVP right now. Especially with how Mike Trout is out of the Angels roster for the next six to eight weeks. Shohei is going to have to lead that squad and anything can happen. We'll see what happens. But I mean, right now he is being a total freak of nature. And so we'll definitely see um, how that progresses as the uh, 2021 season, you know, goes into uh, the dog days of summer and then also the, uh, the end of the season. I guess one more thing I'll throw in here, Travis, uh, war always a kind of a good stat to kind of gauge of how much impact and value someone's having uh, in a given season. And we just looked up um, Babe Ruth's baseball reference war for this 1919 season. And his bat really kind of carried the load. 9.1 war for his offense, essentially. And then um, as a position player, essentially. And then as a pitcher, uh, only a .8 war. Is that correct, Travis? .8 war, yep. So, yeah. So, baseball reference has him as a 9.9 if you kind of add up his position player war plus his war as a pitcher. Obviously, a 9.9, that's an MVP caliber season. That is elite of elite. That's like, that's like top class. You get double digits, you're, you know, you're, you're immortal pretty much. Yeah. Right, right. And, and so you know, con- considering that, um, Otani currently at a 2.6, if you combine his pitching and his uh, position player war, uh, something that might hurt Otani is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Ruth was probably playing the outfield in the years, in the, in the games where he was not pitching, mm-hmm. whereas Otani's a DH. So he is actually, Otani's defensive war is actually going to be what, Pretty much as if he played no defense at all, which is what he does. It'll be zero or in the negatives, yeah. Right, yeah. it'll for sure be in the negatives. And so kind of looking at that, um, Otani may be at a, a bit of a disadvantage there, but his pitching war, like you mentioned to me, Travis, is already higher than Ruth's p- pitching war, according to Baseball Reference, in when Ruth was in, in 1919. So the fact that Otani is already you know having more of an impact as a pitcher in, in much fewer innings, to me, is really telling. It's really kind of saying, mm-hmm. okay, is Otani going to reach like a 10 war and surpass Ruth's season? That would be very surprising. I don't really see that happening, but he's already at 2.6. So there really is potential to climb up into the upper single digits and he could flirt with 10 for sure. If the pitching and the hitting both keep it up, 
And if he keeps having the same crazy usage rate, no, yeah. no days off kind of mindset that the Angels have used on him, it's not out of the question that he can get to something like a 10. Mm-hmm. But even if he reached like a 7-something war, even a high 6 war, Travis, he's getting a serious MVP consideration just based on the fact that we've never seen this before and he's really being uh, an all-star on both sides of the game. So, And that's another thing you put out. I think if he... If he has or surpasses a nine war, I think you have you have to give it to oh, him. Oh no, 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 Travis. You if, have to. If he surpasses a nine war, he will win the MVP. Yeah. There's just absolutely no question. Yeah. I think if he had like a seven war and someone like I don't know who else could have a like uh, a Bregman or a Jose Ramirez, if someone yeah. like that puts up like a ten war season, but Otani's down at seven point five, I really hope they still give it to Otani just because the nature of you know, you could argue, okay, well Ramirez is bat. And his glove is this and that, but okay. Well, Otani's pitching and he's hit hitting and he's really taking no days off, and it's clearly different from any other player in right. the, in the AL right now. Tr- at least truly so. built different, as they say. Yes, yeah. yes. And so I, I think I think just with that, the voters are, are right now are already amazed and already you know completely just starstruck yeah. by what, what's happening right now. But I want to ask you a question because here's a guy that's having a season, um, not Otani, but different guy who's having a who's you could say almost having a Babe Ruth like season. Some of his numbers, at least. And so there's a guy on the uh, Chicago White Sox. His name is Yasmani Grandal. Okay. So this yep. season, I want to kind of throw out some numbers and, and get kind of what you think about this. Because to me, I, I kind of have a unique perspective. But this season, in May at least, just in May, this season probably is kind of the same thing. But this is coming on, um, on I think it was Monday the 18th. Um, Yasmani Grandal in May was 4 for 23 in the month of May. Mm-hmm. In the, in the month, he had one single and three home runs. So three of his four hits were home runs. 20 walks in the month of May. 13 strikeouts and two sack flies. Now looking at his hitting line, and this is what I kind of meant by looking, he has kind of a Babe Ruth, you know, look this year. Yeah. The average, not so much. 174 batting average in May. On base, 533. Yeah. Slugging, 533. 65. So that's about a total of a almost a 1.1 OPS in May right now with an average of 174. I can't I I I, I saw these stats and I kind of I I just could not believe it. I could not believe It's hard to wrap your mind around this that, kind of approach, right? Because I you know, I always for me, I'm always a big I I, I like the, the the stat of batting average. I want to see batting average. I really like on base too cuz I like to see the difference if it's, you know, if a guy's batting 250 but his on base is 400, you know, wow, this guy walks. This guy gets on base so much, but he's not very good at possibly, you know, getting hits and getting base hits. But just looking at that stat line, I mean, what do you what do you take from that? D- does this guy deserve to have, you know, MVP consideration? Does this guy deserve to have, you know, or is he a bum? Yeah. I, I don't even know silver right. slugger recognition, but yeah. Right. Okay. So, um it is very hard to evaluate, especially like you mentioned the word silver slugger. When you think of a silver slugger, you're probably thinking complete hitters, mm-hmm. which um, batting average is obviously a part of being a complete hitter, uh, putting the ball in play. But Travis, I do. I mean, Grandall, uh, you know, for those who don't know, a catcher has always been an absolutely incredible walker. Mm-hmm. He, he, throughout his career, went from the Dodgers to uh, Brewers, Brewers, and then to uh, the White Sox. Wait, yeah, he's bounced around. Yeah, it's, it's Brewers and then White Sox. Yeah, okay. yeah, and then. Uh, pretty much year in year out uh always a really high on base usually leaving catchers and on base and this year it seems like in the month of may he's really taking it to a whole new extreme and what i will say about it is you mentioned uh, uh, uh in the month of may in ops above 1.1 and for me regardless of what your average is if your ops is in that like mvp level like where you're like <laughs> you got a better ops than like mike trout in a month in, like, in any given month to me, that tells me that you are being an absolutely elite plate presence. You are, you know, your impact is, is, is incredible right now. And even though he's not the kind of guy you probably want up, if it's guy on third, two outs, down by one, because that's a situation where you want to put the ball in play and hopefully, you know, you know, drive drive the guy in. But just in terms of impacting the game overall, the amount if you're getting on base over half the time and then also the slugging is above 500 it shows off your you know still still when you do hit the ball you're still showing off power it i think that's truly incredible i think it is absolutely all-star level um 
even though it might not be the best for like someone like like uh, who hasn't been fantasy, for example, which mm-hmm. is uh, is unfortunate because average and uh, it's not going to measure and, on base and, or slugging. R- yeah. And RBIs are like not going to be as great, but the average. And, also, and you know what? You're you're talking to the guy who had him in fantasy. So I, I do remember that. Yes, I do remember you <laughs> drafting Grandall, and and he started the season so so poorly, and then he just decided, okay. The batting's not working. I'm gonna start walking a bunch, and he's been incredible at it. So, and I was wondering, maybe maybe Larusa, you know, puts him. I'm not saying the leadoff spot, but maybe the two spot because he's 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 probably one of the worst base runners in the game. He's not fast. He's not going to be you know turning, uh, you know, going going first or third on any play. But hey, you know, can get on for your big bats. Can get on for Jose Abreu, Moncada, um, Mercedes, some of these other guys. But yeah. um, yeah, actually looking at his entire season right now, um. Of course, batting batting one thirty three instead of one sixty four. I think I had or one seventy four. I had him, but batting one thirty three for the entire season with an on base of three eighty three. So still a very insane walk margin uh, with that. And then of course the slugging is three thirty seven. Only has five home runs on the season and um, total OPS of seven twenty one. But his OPS plus is one oh seven, which is kind of crazy because he's still above an average MLB player just because he is walking and, and that's and, all it, and that, it is and, meant to be yeah and that's from that's from the whole season whereas yeah. the numbers we were highlighting were just in may just so may, even yeah. for the whole season so that factors in that really bad april you're still looking at above average hitter if mm-hmm. you look at the whole thing based on ops plus um in the month of may i think there's no doubt that he's been a all-star caliber hitter despite the poor average i'm talking about you know a guy who i'm not saying mvp votes but i'm saying like a a real he's the value offensively you, you can't deny it just because the amount of he's getting on base and the fact that he's still also able to hit the ball very hard when he is hitting the ball so um it, it's truly impressive to me yeah yeah and you know we're gonna we're gonna move on to the last thing and this is we're sticking with the chicago white Sox, the biggest story of the week the unwritten rule so as most of you guys saw on uh, i believe it was monday night minnesota twins put in a position player Williams Astadios, the turtle. Yeah. Tor- Tortuga? La Tortuga. Yes. They put him in. Twins are losing by a crap ton. They're losing by 11, I believe. Tortuga works the count with, uh, with, with Yerman Mercedes, gets to a 3-0 count, and Yerman decides, you know what? Screw it. This guy's throwing 48-mile-an-hour, you know. There's meat pitches. Screwball floaters. I'm going to try and just knock him out of the park. Does exactly that, hits it a deep center, and then this kind of starts the whole domino effect of the unwritten rule, relating back to last season with the whole Tatis thing, but going back to, you know, you're winning by a lot, and you're, you know, up in the count. Why are you swinging for the fences when you're winning by, you know, I think it's like 11, runs or 11 runs or more? I want to start with you, Alex, and just kind of give me your... Give me, of course, your kind of insight and your perspective on all this, on what's going on in uh, in the Chicago White Sox organization, and of course that situation, you know, with all that. So I guess what I'll start with, Travis, is this White Sox team is a young team, a fun team, high energy, right? Uh, even before they were this playoff threat a few years ago, you still saw Tim Anderson, who would hit like a, you know, as a leadoff hitter, will crank a home run, do a bat flip, throw his bat. You see, Highly talented team, right? Yeah. You see guys like Mancada and Abreu, both, uh, you know, you know, you know, they'll, they'll flash leather. They'll, you know, have a, you know, a big, a big homer, and you know, th- th- it feels like they play with a lot of, you know, identity, right? Mm-hmm. They play, uh, you know, with a lot of pride, and they play to have fun. They're really having fun out there, and they're, you know, as of last season, they started to play winning baseball, and they mm-hmm. made the playoffs. And this year, going into the season, they're definitely the favorite in their division. And they needed a new manager, and they went with Tony Larusa, who is a proven veteran. In his own words, he's a Hall of Fame baseball guy. Yep, is what he told to a police officer in a certain uh, a dark a, <laughs> a low, a low, a low, a, in a low point of his. But uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, anyways, he's a Hall of Fame baseball guy, but at the same time, easily one of the most old school options they could have gone with. Mm-hmm. You know, a real. A real, uh, I guess, veteran of the way baseball should be played. He will kind of always side with, you know, the traditions of mm-hmm. baseball. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, uh, you know, the norms doesn't really want to break them. Doesn't want to be sort of, uh, you know, kind of pushing the envelope on 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 a young, exciting, you know, new adventure. And I do, th- I, when they made the move, Travis, I think most people looking at this team closely questioned the decision because 
you know, these these guys are, you know, um, it's not to say that Larusa can't manage an exciting team, but these guys are always doing stuff like this. You yeah. Know? You see the bat flips. You see them with their bling on. You see them with the unbuttoned jerseys a little bit. You see them, you know, taking the extra bases and they're doing this and that. Yeah. And yeah. And, 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 and one thing I will say too is kind of weird. His last season managing was 2011, won the World Series with the Cardinals, was retired from the game, said, I'm done, you know, this is my last season. I'm done after this. And then, you know, spent a couple of years actually in the Angels front office organization working in the front office, doing, you know, special assignments, that kind of thing. So it was kind of weird, but, you know, it was away from the game for so long. It was kind of a weird signing because, yeah, he's a legend, and, and like he is, he's a, he's a Hall of Fame coach because all the teams he manages, the, those Oakland A's teams. Winning in, teams, In, in sure. the 80s and 90s, and, of course, the St. Louis Cardinals. But it was kind of a weird, you know, selection for the for the front office of the, of the White Sox to go after this guy um, and, you know, kind of have this young, youthful team with this kind of old-school kind of manager. Um, I just thought it was kind of funky, and, you know, he'd been, he'd been gone from the game for so long it just seemed like kind of a weird signing. Maybe they could have got more of a younger presence who maybe is more in touch with these players, played probably the last 15 years, actually played in the game. And so, um, but go ahead and continue with, with what happened and, and kind of like, you know, the, the scenario. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, like, like we, like, you know, if you, if you, if you followed it at all, you know, the, the basics of three Oh count swinging away. That was an issue last year. Like you mentioned for Fernando Tatis, where Tatis was in a spot where it was bases loaded 3-0 count and he swung away and hit a grand slam and it mm-hmm. kind of started this whole slam Diego Padres kind of you know uh, kind of name for them and it kind of gave the team an, ident- an identity I feel like and in that moment the Rangers uh, manager I remember was very upset about it you know 3-0 bases loaded why are you just insulting us with like you know spite by just you know cranking it you know out of the park and Travis interestingly enough after this whole fiasco with La Russa and uh, and Yermin Mercedes, uh, I believe the Rangers coach came out and said, "I've thought about it a lot, and I am now okay with it. Like I'm not gonna, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not gonna insult this young, talented, fun player who's trying to, you know, he, you know, someone like Yermin Mercedes, he's on a rookie deal. He's a rookie. Yeah. He's, he's trying to put up numbers in order to uh, stay on the team to he, keep getting paid. He's yeah. trying to make yeah. his case." Which I, I saw an interesting tweet, and Travis, and in a couple of years here, he's going to be in some sort of arbitration hearing, some sort of trying to negotiate some sort of extension. Mm-hmm. He and his team are going to have to agree on a price of, 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 of a contract, essentially. They have to yeah. agree on a salary. And home runs is going to be on that chart that they use when they're saying, this is what you've done for us these last couple of years. How much do you, how much should you make because of it? Mm-hmm. Travis. Home runs allowed by Williams at studio is not gonna come up in his contract <laughs> negotiations because he's not a pitcher. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Twins put in the position player to pitch because they're essentially waving the white flag, mm-hmm. and your your mean Mercedes shouldn't miss. He shouldn't intentionally not swing at the best pitch of the at bat just because he's trying to like not hurt someone's feelings. Like what? Like what is the argument for the Twins? Oh, oh, you shouldn't swing there. Why not? Because. You're gonna hurt the pitcher's feelings because you want him to strike out on purpose. Like that's gonna hurt his numbers. You want him to hit a hard ground ball on purpose, and like no, if he has a chance to hit a home run, why would you not? You know, if you're not gonna, if you're gonna do this tactical move to, you don't want to waste your bullpen. You're gonna put in a a utility guy to pitch. Your Mima Stadium shouldn't be punished for taking advantage of that. He's not gonna just come, you know. Let, 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 let your team essentially walk off the field uh, unpunished for, you know. And, and we're all grown adults. And it, it, I, yeah. I, think, I think it's, I think leave your feelings at home. I mean, I mean, it's, it, you're coming here to, to do your job and, and to do the, you know, do what you're supposed to do. And um, I guess I'll kind of weigh in on my, you know, my reaction with all of it. For me, and it's, I, I think, I think the unwritten rule is totally not eligible here when you put a position player into pitch. Mm-hmm. We went to the Twins Angels game last month. Angels are winning, I think, 10-2, and it's the eighth inning. We actually saw Williams come into pitch. Yep. Williams was throwing – he had he threw some ched. He, he, threw, he threw some heat. But then he also was just leaving these 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 screwballs up. And I think we saw two of the Angels – I think he actually had a one, two, three inning. But we saw the Angels hitters. They were hitting shots right to the third baseman, yeah. line drives. Yeah. And, I mean, it's like, man, like, you know, if you're, if you're a hitter and you're having a slumping day, what, what else to get out of a slump to face some – face some little eager yeah. like this and you know 
get a base hit, and hey, that can turn the table for tomorrow, for the next week. That can kind of get you out of a slump, getting that one base hit to kind of get your mind right. But I look at that situation, and I say, when you put a position player in, the all, all bets, all written rules, or unwritten rules are off the table for me. Uh-huh. And it's funny, I saw a tweet from um, actually the old Angels pitching coach, uh, Mike Butcher, and he was saying, in my nine years with the Angels or so as a pitching coach, he said, I never even thought to consider put, putting in a position player to pitch. And we're seeing that a lot now. We're seeing a lot of guys, a lot of managers put in position players right. to pitch. And to me, I kind of think that's a little, to me, I kind of, I'm not offended, but I kind of am like, you know what? That kind of sucks because, A, you could bring in a guy in the bullpen that might be struggling and say, hey, you got the next two innings. We're already, we already lost the game. Yeah. Work get out, some work in. Work out of your funk for sure. Get, get some work in. Face some different batters. Face some all-star hitters like the White Sox have. Get some work in. Or you got guys, you know, down in AAA or AA, and it's like, man, I want to get that one MLB debut shot. And it's just like, you got to watch Williams Astadios come into pitch for the Twins when it's like, really? Like, you know, I, I know, I know you weren't brought up, but it's just kind of like, right. man, like I got to watch this guy pitch. This guy has more innings pitched than me in his entire career, and he's a he's a catcher. Right, right. He's a catcher and, and a super utility guy. But I think that That's bringing point. bringing in the position player to pitch is just it's just a it's just a weird rule. It's just and, a weird and, thing. And, and I I get why a, a pitching coach or a manager would be attracted to the idea. A big a big thing these days is bullpen management. I yes. feel like bullpen yep. management is super. You know, it, it's it's one of the it's one of the most important critical things a manager has to kind of deal yes. with on a game to game basis, just because. Uh, in a series, if you burn the bullpen one day, it really limits your options the next day. And all of a sudden, you're kind of really hoping a starting pitcher can like carry the load one day so the bullpen can catch up. So I get why if your bullpen is not rested, or maybe they are rested, you want to keep them rested because the game is, is long gone. You're pretty much giving up. I get why you're saying, okay, let's save our arms for later in the series. At the same time, if you're going to do this, this tactical move of saying, okay, I want to punt on this game mm-hmm. and put in a position player, so I can save my arms. If you're gonna punt on the game, how come you're mad when the other team starts hitting? It's like, okay, well, yeah. you intentionally are punting on the game. And you gave up 15 runs, so you know what? I mean, I don't know what you're mad about. You should be mad about your pitching staff yeah. because, oh, I mean, I mean, what are you doing that for? And so, yeah. and, and, and one thing I did think about, and I, and I heard LaRusa in his interview, and I totally agree with on a manager side. You know, and I think LaRusa might have said, oh, I, I, was, I was given the take sign. I was given the take sign. And you know what? I, I completely agree with managers. If managers are given take signs, you know what? Don't take because if you disobey them, that's of course going to lead to you know no trust, and that's going to possibly lead to you not starting. So I think that that was one part of it that I was like, well, you know, maybe if he if he was given take signs, you know, may, maybe he should he should be you know he, right. he shouldn't do that kind of he, stuff. He but he shouldn't at, disobey a manager's call. Exactly. It's kind of like if you put a bunt down, but you hit a home run, the guy's going to be like you know, good job, but like, what the hell? You know, I, yeah. I, I call, I'm calling the game the way I call the game, the way the front office has hired me to do so, you know, put the bunt down or you do something like that. But um, it, it's funny how, how it kind of caused this chain reaction with MLB and with different players because as we saw the next night, Tyler Duffy of the Twins throwing behind your mean for, for, just, for just no reason. I, I think that's the most cowardly, stupidest thing to do because yeah. it's like you're down four, 15 to four, and this dude, who's a rookie, who's still trying to prove himself to the Chicago White Sox organization, hits a home run on a 3-0 pitch. I mean, if I was a twin, I'd be laughing like, oh my God, we suck. We're so bad. Like, right. this, this, is, this is hilarious now. And, and, and so what I will... And, and, and they took offense to that, which but, really right. does well, not make sense at all. Well, what I will say about Duffy is I heard a, I heard a whispers. I, I don't know, I don't know what, what exactly uh, has been confirmed, but I think... I know I know he's, he's, he's won. He is... Uh, fighting the uh, suspension that he was given. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I believe it was a three-game suspension that was given for him throwing at Mercedes. Which it should be. Yeah. Um, which makes sense. I, I, know, I know he's arguing it. And what I want to say I heard is that I think part of his like idea behind his argument is that he was not the one who wanted to throw at Mercedes. I want to say that he was told to by his coaching staff. And so uh, if that is the case, I mean, he still did it. So he should pick, get a game suspension or whatever it may be, like something small, yeah. slap on the wrist. Uh, but you know, I, I guess what I what I will say, Travis, is one of the most uh, confusing and surprising developments is how much Tony Larusa sided with the other team, yeah. and sided against his own players. And every single comment that I saw from an MLB player was 
in agreement with your mean Mercedes. Yeah. And, and the Chicago White Sox players. Yeah. So I, I, I saw tweets from uh, Lucas Giolito, or at least a comment from Lucas I think Giolito. Tim Anderson, too. Tim Anderson was vocal on Instagram and Twitter about uh, in favor of Mercedes saying, keep doing what you're doing. You're, mm-hmm. you're a beast kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know, keep it in bombs. Uh, I know Lance Lynn came out and sided with Mercedes. So his own teammates are stepping up and saying, you know, you're young. You're trying to prove yourself. Keep doing your thing. And meanwhile, you have your own manager, the guy who's supposed to be guiding your team to a World Series. Honestly, this team has that kind of aspiration. Oh yeah, World Series bus this year. Yeah, you, you you want to have a manager who's got not only got your side, but has your best interest in mind. And you you have this guy in a post game press conference saying, "Oh, they tried to throw out my guy," and he, Tony Larusa, literally said like that kind of response. I'm okay with that. He literally said that. Like he's like that. that that's not like an outrageous like thing. Like. That's kind of like, you know, you you do something, unwritten rules you break, you're going to get something back at you. And he's okay with that. And to me, that, you know, if I was LaRusa, I would be outraged. I'm like, okay, you know, why you put in a position player if you're going to get so upset about it and throw at the guy? So um, at the end of the day, I really think LaRusa handled it so poorly. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised if the team, uh, you know, all the players were kind of leaning away from LaRusa La right now. Is he on the watch to get fired? That might be too far. I, you know, it's definitely not an impossibility. I think no, you're it's right. certainly you're right. in the, there's a conversation to be had about that. But I think I saw a Tim Anderson quote a few days after this whole aftermath, uh, saying something like, "At the end of the day, he's our coach, and we respect him." And I remember there was a funny quote, and it actually kind of made some sense to me, where Tim Anderson said, "It's sort of like when the bad kids." get told what to do and they want to break the <laughs> rules. Uh, they immediately want to break the rules. But at the end of the day, they know like the person, their teacher or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. kind of like, and that, that kind of makes some sense. But at the same time, you know, these young guys are trying to do their thing and they're trying to play baseball. Uh, you know, maybe not the right way, according to the way baseball was done decades ago, but in their mind, it's the way that, you know, we're trying to make a name for ourselves. We're trying to prove what we're capable of. And we'll go back to that Tatis thing to sort of, you know, encapsulate this whole moment. Travis, I feel like that the grand slam by Tatis not only was it a big headline last year on the 3-0 count, but at the same time, it almost gave the team an identity. They all kind of wrapped around this slam Diego mindset. The team broke a record for like yeah, for yeah. like grand slams. It was like it was like four in grand, one week. For like grand yeah. slams in a week or a month. Like they're breaking records, and it really kind of propelled that team into like. I remember the beginning of the season, Padres were like, okay, they're like on the come up, and by the end of the of the twenty twenty season, it's like, okay, this team is a threat in the National League. Mm-hmm. It could be the same thing for the White Sox, Travis. We all know that what they're capable of, but moments like this could kind of bring this team together and make you really feel like, okay, this team, you know, they're they're supporting Mercedes, this young guy, and this team is destined for you know making a real serious push here in, in the postseason. So, yeah, I mean, it it it's definitely it's definitely a, a pretty it's it's a cool thing. I, I think in these kind of stories in baseball are kind of always you know they kind of get a good debate going and kind of you know yeah. r- really you can kind of see you know do you really do you you go more with kind of the the old style, the old guy, or do you go with kind of the young guys and the young players? Um, going back to a little bit with the uh, with the Tony Russo, I just thought it was I thought it was a little kind of just like unprofessional and just kind of weird to I think I think he called out in the interview saying you know your your mean will be punished or your mean will will face con- consequences and it's it's kind of right. just like he's like punishment you know, with the family which may, is maybe you should say something along the lines of you know he's a young guy you know he we're gonna he, talk about it we're we're gonna talk about it yeah you know we're, we're gonna talk about it you know I, I I'm not I, you know. He's doing. He's he's helping this team lead, especially with the injuries we got. We have Eloy and we have Luis Robert. Oh, he's out. a key piece to this offense right now. For yes, sure. And so I, I I think I think yeah, Tony Russo. I think he handled it so poorly. And then of course you have players like you know Lance Lynn that are like, hey, you know, come on, like we're we're trying to win this as a team. You know, we're, our our job is to win ball games, and yeah. your mean help us win a ball game. Yeah, you know, and Larusa, no matter what the score was, Larusa is almost dividing the clubhouse. It feels like. And then the next night, you know, with the next day with Tyler Duffy, he's almost like, well, you know, he he, he had that coming. You know, he had that coming. When when you do things like that, you're going to get thrown at. And it's kind of just like. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're now you're creating this untrust, you know, clubhouse where the players are kind of like, I'm not going to listen to you now. Like you, you don't know what you're talking about. They tried to bean our player and you didn't defend them. Exactly. It it, kind of goes back to, and it's, I saw this clip a couple of days ago. I think it might've been actually like, no, not 10 years ago, but it was like eight or seven years ago. Um, Mike Trout for the angels. He hit a cycle. I think it was seven or eight years ago on like one of the past couple of days or whatever, but angels were up 11, nothing in that game. And Mike Trout was a home run away from the cycle. And on a 2-0 pitch, a 2-0 pitch, not a 3-0 pitch, a 2-0 pitch, just one ball earlier, hits a home run to hit for the cycle. 
And of course, back then, no one says anything about it. You know, right. no one says it, it's the cycle. You know what? It, it means it means something else because it's the cycle. But it's still you're up by 11 runs. You know, right. why are you swinging, Mike? Why are you even in? You know, wh- why? What are you doing? But it's just kind of funny that you, I look at that situation. It's almost the same thing. Late in the ball game, you're up by 10 plus runs. And you're still swinging 10-0, but of course the cycle is, of course, the main right. outlier what you're trying to but accomplish. The, the, that but comparison makes sense because Trout's kind of chasing history with this, you know, trying yep. to get a cycle. Meanwhile, your mean is not chasing history. He's not trying to get a cycle, but he's still trying to prove himself, continue to make his name, continue to improve his stats. You put in a bad pitcher slash position player to pitch against him. Why should he not? Why, why, why should he intentionally take the best pitch of the at bat, yep. floor down the middle? you know if you're taken there as as you're mean you know you're essentially saying okay like i'm okay with just getting in out this at bat and uh yeah we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll go, go to go to the clubhouse early essentially which yeah. he's not down for that and I, I respect him for not being down for that and i think the whole with me the whole situation it boils down to you had a position player into pitch yeah you had a position player into pitch that to me discredits that to me everything's off the table twins were giving the game to the white Sox. I wish the White Sox would have scored eight runs against Williams, and it would have been like, screw a it, blowout. Yeah, let, let's all let, let's let's get more RBIs to our stats. Let's get some more home runs. And, and, let's get our averages up. And Travis, yeah. what, what if what if they actually hit Williams so hard that they have to remove him from the game because his you know his arm is you know being pitched too much? Now you all of a sudden you're getting into their bullpen again, and that's what the White Sox probably want. And it's the first game of a series, and your bullpen is 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 used exactly. Whole, I mean, it's I mean, in you, the you, White you, Sox. You bring up such good points it, about that. It's yeah. in the White Sox's best interest to get through a studio and get into the next pitcher that's you know going to be warming up you want to continue doing damage to the the arms you want to continue working their team as much as you can it'll help in the long run for the series especially because this is another division a team in your division so exactly it, it makes it makes too much sense you, to just you're not going to punt on this game because you're winning you want to continue to work through in, their arms you almost go into it like batting practice and mm-hmm. all that stuff and it's funny that you know we, we saw that high scoring game and i think actually two nights ago i think it was friday night the braves beat the pirates Oh. 20 to 1. Yes. And everyone was Scary just numbers. everyone was just saying unwritten rules cuz I think the Braves put up an 8 spot in the 8th inning and it was already they hit a grand slam when yeah. they were in the 8th inning when they're already absolutely blowing their team for out. For me, I mean for me the one thing I will say is you know what I have no problem with teams 20 run, you know, putting up insane offense numbers. I I think actually it's it's to me it's more of a motivation for the losing team to be like we gotta get do it you together. guys see the scoreboard? Like a yeah. manager, I'd be like, "You guys are pathetic." Do you guys see the scoreboard? Like, this is how bad we are, and that might be a little boost from the, you know, say, maybe we should, you know, maybe we should do better, or you know, maybe. And, and, and at the same time, if if you're the, if you're the Braves there and you're already winning, so yeah, it was a twenty, it was a twenty to one game, and so they were already up by like twelve to zero, I guess, before that eight run inning. I yep. know, I know, the Pirates got one in the ninth, so. You look oh, at it was one of the ninth. It was okay. So, one, so one, it, was, it, was, it was one for their dignity at the I end. I didn't see that one. Okay, for so the, I thought it was fans. one run like in the third. Okay, so they actually were getting shut out and getting just completely right. blown. So, okay, so, right. so so Travis, we're looking at a twelve zero game. All of a sudden, that eighth spot, like you mentioned, in the eighth. So that kind of tells me the Braves, like when it was up twenty zero in the seventh and eighth, they could have said, "Okay, let's kind of put our heads down." We'll just like play pepper to the infielders and get out. Yeah, that yeah. that's what the old timey baseball guys probably want, I guess, because they're talking. They just about want to finish un- the game, and you know, but it, but you but, know but, what? But you go up, you put up that twenty to one W. Not only are your bats going to be more confident going forward, but now you got this team around. You got something to talk about. Your team has this, you know, this total confidence boost. You have this total like you know shift in the clubhouse. Like okay, maybe we weren't doing great this last week or so, but boys, today we proved what we're capable of. We put up a twenty spot. And that that's only a good thing for the Braves. It's only a good thing. So, only, yeah. so if, if the coach came out and said, "Why did we score eight that inning?" I would have been upset too, just like I'm upset at, at Larusa. So yeah, I mean, some of these managers just kind of need to get a little bit. You know, I'm not saying get get with the times, but you know, it's it, it's pretty much it, it, yeah. it, pretty much. But it's it's just because I mean, you look at the San Diego Padres. He, he's a young guy, Jace Jace Tangler. He, yeah, he's a young guy. He's not he's not some you and know. I would be shocked if he whatever. Go back on Tatis. I know he has Tatis's back. Yeah, which, I would hope so because he's the franchise, and he right. he helped. I mean, if he ever went pissed off Tatis, Tatis could say, you know, I, I'm not playing here anymore. And then you know, then the Padres got a bigger problem. And Travis, one thing I want to also just kind of touch on before we're done, before we wrap things up here, is uh, a trade happened this week. Uh, Willie Adames is now going to be the shortstop for the Milwaukee Brewers, and that is a sort of a, a you know a development we almost highlighted on last week, talking about. Should the Brewers pursue pursue uh, Trevor Story? And it looks like they went a different route. They're going to go for a trade for Willie Adames. 
uh, they had to give up two reliever arms uh, in order to make this trade happen. Uh, JP Fireisen, uh, if I'm butchering your name, JP, my apologies, as well as <laughs> as well as Drew Rasmussen. And so giving up these two arms in order to acquire Willie Adames and right-handed pitcher Trevor Richards. So to me, this trade makes a lot of sense for the Brewers. We mentioned last week they have that hole at shortstop, uh, trying to fill it with the guy who's, you know, um, Travis. One thing that's always worth noting about Willie Adames is the stark difference between his home and his road numbers. Mm-hmm. He has always hit very bad in Tampa Bay as a Tampa Bay Ray, which is not <laughs> there's not really what you want to see for your home ball club. So um, I'll just highlight it for those the who drop might, is not a very friendly place for him. Yeah, for those who might not know, uh, Willie Adames in 171 career home games is batting 217 average, 275 on base percentage, 341 slugging. That's a 616. OPS. Meanwhile, on away games, Travis, he has a 293 average. That's above his on base wow. at home. Wow. 293 average away games, 365 on base in away games, 499 slugging in away games, 864 OPS. Travis, that's literally like an all star on away games. So pursuing a guy like this for the Brewers makes a lot of sense. You're getting him out of Tampa Bay. He's gonna hopefully see those away numbers become a little bit more of a uh, more of a I guess his average uh, hopefully. Um, yeah, should mind. we should we produce him better than I think Luis Luis Urias? Right, exactly. It, it's not it's for sure an upgrade uh, defensively, offensively, as well as um, you're only giving away two relievers, which you know they have already Hader and Williams. So yeah. you yeah. know those guys obviously had utility, but will they be missed in a huge way? Probably not. Their pitching is already really good. So uh, Trevor's story now, I predicted Brewers. You brought up Yankees. Maybe he's going to go Yankees somewhere in between. Maybe go to the Bay Area too. Maybe may, maybe maybe the Rockies are going to continue their dysfunction and let him walk away <laughs> for nothing and just spiral into. Paying, paying the Cardinals $50 million and giving them Arenado and also yeah. just letting you let, know, let story, story walk. walk for yeah. free. So. I think those are two pretty bad. That'd be a good way to handle the ending of this era for them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you got to you got to start over, so. Yeah. So yeah, anyways, uh, I just want to kind of highlight this kind of trade uh breaking news or you know, a fresh uh scenery for uh, Willie Adamas. So I think that's good for him and I think it'll help the Brewers in the long run make a push to win the division for sure. Yeah, as we kind of start to see the um I guess the MLB trades beginning to happen. It, right about now, all in June, all in July, you'll start to see these big, you know, names possibly on the move. N- not not to mention uh because of this trade, Ray, Rays were allowed to call up, uh, I believe his name is Taylor Walls. I think so. That's right. And so he is uh, apparently, uh, what, what I've read on Twitter, a defensive just guru mm-hmm. on the middle infield. And uh, I know his first uh, his first hit was a hit off the wall uh, just yesterday, I believe. So he's already doing some stuff in, in the big league level. Um, good for him. The Rays, in terms of developing talent, they're like second to none. So I'm sure that this guy is going to, take over this year and then Wander Franco could be in the near horizon as well I was gonna say it sucks that we're gonna have to wait a little more for Wander Franco because I think everyone was like it's happening the number one prospect is coming up and he will be starting for the Rays uh very shortly but you know that's kind of wrapping up the whole entire uh you know show for today um I guess you know won't get too much into Angels talk um we don't a, not a disappointing week but you know it's yeah. It's I, I would I would I don't know what to say. The word disappointing does come to mind. Uh, but let's hope for a better game today, Travis. We have to go and uh, drive over to the Big A right now. So, uh, fingers crossed against the A's. Let's not get swept and uh, let's hope for a good one. Yep. I'll see you guys next week. Yeah. Thanks. See you next week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs>